you gotta look for the zeros and the tens. The tens are those that are just so aligned and they're gonna move together with you in unison. They're going to get it and be understanding and help. you're gonna help each other grow because you have shared ideology and vision and values and you wanna help each other unlock that potential. And then you're, those zeros are just not gonna get it and you just get rid of them as quickly as possible. But the sales part of me wants to land the clients, right? And you guys know this, but you have to make hard decisions and say no. And so I think this self-organizing and adapting this plays into the way we choose those who we work with and the rooms that we're in, y'all. And it's, it's really important. Welcome, Jeremy and Josh from Dream See Do. Long-time partners and collaborators, it's so exciting to have you here today. We've worked with you for a couple of years now, and it's interesting mm-hmm. and exciting to have this space kind of get some more stories that might not have come out in our collaborations. So we're really excited to have you here today. Welcome. Yeah, happy to be here. We often start with an origin story. And what's unique about having a pair here is rather than your individual origin stories, we thought to start with a question about your partnership origin story. When you met, what was happening at that time in your life? And what happened when you met and what arose? For the people that are listening to us, there was like a mischievous grin when Mary asked the question. So. <laughs> yeah, I think it's something relatively unique. And Jeremy will share more about it. But um, for us, it's been a long, to bring back the word genesis, a long genesis from the origin for Dreams to Do itself and our partnership and what we've been doing together. So I'll let Jeremy yeah. kick it off. Well, it was 1770. No, Josh and I met in uh, late 2013, actually. And essentially, from my end, I had received um, an email from my wife. And she's Andrew's been a muse of mine for many different ways, particularly work-related. And it was to join a hackathon at a conference called The Feast, which was happening in New York City. And this was a yearly conference that brought together folks from all over the world who you know really wanted to create some kind of social impact. I myself had coached some hackathons, been a part of leading some, but I hadn't participated. And so it seemed really interesting. And there was a learning challenge. You know, that was a sliding door that got me there. I'll kick it over to Josh to say how he got there and, I'll, and then I can keep going with the story of what, what happened next. Sure. Yeah. I was kind of in a exploratory phase in my life. Like every time that I'm working on something and I feel like my work doesn't quite align with who I am or who I've become, I go outward and that point I was exploring by going to lots of hackathons. I actually had run a few hackathons myself. I had uh, been the conductor for a startup bus, which was like a hackathon on wheels. And uh, I always thought it was a great way to meet people and just sort of be infused with new ideas. And so, uh, yeah, I flew out to New York because I really wanted to think about how I was going to leave a better impact in the world. And specifically, I thought my area of focus was in education and learning. And so I came to the feast to meet people and to kind of figure out how am I going to transform my intention into something in reality and met Jeremy on, you know, one of the the first days, which he can share a little bit more about, but we kind of broke ground on an idea together and that that formed the the basis of our partnership. Okay. I'm going to play the naive bystander. I do know what a hackathon is, but I'm assuming that there might be some people in our audience that don't. Can yeah. you just like let us know what a hackathon is? Because it's, it's kind of a really cool thing that arose around that time. Yeah, essentially a hackathon is it's intended to be a fun weekend where you get together around various themes and ideas to create basically a, a business. And often it's centered around creating like a digital product. In this case, um, at the Feast, 
you just come together, you create teams, you galvanize based on common interests. And in this case, there was three challenges at the feast. There was the learning challenge, um, a challenge around um, veterans, and a challenge around health. And so I had already decided to, to join the learning challenge um, just to kind of share a little bit more about what, what was happening with me leading up to that. I had been working in digital transformation consulting, working with organizations around their digital learning, organizations like the Queen's Library System, one of the largest, most successful library systems in the world, serving millions of people and helping them reimagine what they did online, created a tablet app with them amongst other things, worked with Kripalu Center for Learning and Yoga. Much like Josh, I was sort of evaluating what I wanted to do in my career. And I was consulting at the time and had been looking for jobs and, and kind of got to the final round of a chief digital learning officer at Omega, which is another big holistic retreat center. It didn't work out, but it, it was meant to be because shortly thereafter, I met Josh. And we basically went into a room with all the people that were going to be in this learning challenge to create some kind of digital product to help high school kids reimagine internships. That was the theme. And everybody went around the room kind of talking about why they were there and what was important to them. And the second I heard Josh speak, I was like, okay, I got to beat this guy. Backstory for me is I am a builder and very much a techie, um, but also have been a coach and had a range of different things I've done in my career, including music production, sort of Renaissance man, if I could humbly say that. And getting to know Josh, he's very similar in that way in his own regard. But I've been looking for a partner as a technology expert for like for 12 years. So at this point, it would be 20 years. But I found him anyway, <laughs> because I never went into um, coding. Like I had the propensity as a mathematician, as a musician, but just didn't do it. And so I, as a business guy, was always looking for that person that could be my partner and very, through various ventures. And it was a very challenging experience to look for that long, literally for 12 years. And so I heard Josh speak and I just was, everything he said really resonated with me. And we met and um, created this hackathon team. That was the genesis actually of our business. And I can tell you how the name came about in such in a minute, but I'm kind of curious what Josh was thinking at the time. I mean, I, I think at that moment, yeah, definitely noticed that Jeremy was the one to like bring a lot of the energy and kind of cultivate the room. And I'm often the one that's like, you know, sitting back a little bit and watching how things play out. I definitely found that in the weekend, we were sort of the impromptu leaders of this team together. Although everybody certainly worked in a hackathon, it's, it's aimed to be very democratic. So you kind of assess everybody's skill set when you come in. You know, like, okay, what can you all do? Can you design something? Can you draw something? Can you go out and do some research and talk to some people on the street? Can, can you, you make jokes? And, yeah. <laughs> and so, so Jeremy was just making jokes. That was, that was his job the whole time. We actually came together, I think, with intention. We were drawn to each other and we did take on leadership roles in this group and had an amazing designer, this, this woman named Ray, who was a critical part of the initial creation. And I'll never forget this deck that she helped us design where an illustration she did of a teacher teaching the classroom and a big, an equal sign with an X between it. And then like a globe on the other side of the image and basically saying like, you know, there was a big disconnect between what happens in the classroom, especially for high school kids and what they might want to do in their career. And so we created this initial product around that premise of how do you create that connection? How do you create real world and experiential learning? And we actually named it GMC Do that weekend, believe it or not. You know, just thinking about young people dreaming what they want to do, being able to see kind of what's out there and then do something. It was pretty incredible. The first product we created that weekend, um, Josh scraped like 300,000 LinkedIn profiles uh, when we could still do that before they were purchased by Microsoft. We weren't using them illegally or anything, but even then, you know, you can't do that kind of thing anymore. A young person ostensibly would be able to put in their interests, kind of like what they're dreaming about, and then see local people in the community that were doing a job that was related to those interests. That was the original product. And then the idea was from there, they'd be able to do some kind of internship or job shadow at a company 
in experiential learning around that topic to kind of give them a bridge. So that was the original DSD 1.0. And there's lots of things that happened from there. The origin story is interesting because there's the genesis of the name itself was born that weekend. And there's also this spirit of something that was born between the two of you. If you were to describe the, what's the spirit of that thing, that there was the actual mm. product that you built, but what was the spirit of the thing that kind of like flamed up? It's about empowering people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to say helping them like flourish. Flourish and figure yeah. things out and tune into their best gifts. This has become like an ever evolving part of our ethos of helping people in general unlock their human potential or tap into their unique selves to be able to unlock their own gifts to give to the world. And we've been evolving this. And that's another interesting part of the story is how early we aligned on values. But I think, you know, Josh and I are both really, we we love building. We're both explorers. You know, our hearts are in education and and helping people. We shared a lot of experiences in our lives of Josh told me about a men's group he was in and whether going through therapy or, you know, both of us doing yoga and meditation. There was just this immediate connection around individual growth and then wanting to help other people be able to do that, to be their best selves and to feel fulfilled. I mean, what's the calculus and the number of businesses that come out of a hackathon actually create a business at all, let alone a successful growing business? It's very special. We ended up winning the learning challenge and we successfully won two or three other challenges year after year as a product, early days. Like we would apply for these big social impact challenges. And yeah, it was it was a beautiful start. I'm super curious. The word hackathon, it's something that my mind just kind of like will bypass over. Like <laughs> I don't, that's something other people do. And when you're talking about what I would call like the self-organizing principles that it's based around, it made me think, first of all, that's really cool. And also tech-oriented people are using principles like agile and things like that. I'm curious, like what parts of that self-organization you're still including in your work and how you're seeing yourselves and, and your organization and ask you to dive a little bit into that. You cracked open a big one. You sure we don't need four hours for this podcast, guys? <laughs> Josh, go ahead. You want to kick that one off? Sure. One thing is that, especially in the realm of a hackathon, there's certainly a palpable energy around like not knowing what's going to happen or what's going to emerge. And I feel like that self-organizing kind of fits well with that because it means then you can see what's happening. Oh, these are the skills that are emerging. So this is how we need to organize or this is the problem we're facing. And so this is how we need to diverge and converge to come to like a final solution. You know, personally, I've run hackathons in teams and like as part of organizations outside the scope of like a hackathon competition. I really find that they're helpful at helping people let go of their preconceived notions about what they know and like having a learning mindset, a beginner's mindset. I think that's extremely valuable, especially when you're trying to do something innovative or new, because oftentimes I've been discovering the thing that is most successful is often the synthesis, you know, of something that it, that works really well and something that's new. Something that's totally new is too unfamiliar to people and won't be something that they'll adopt, but something that feels familiar but is new is something that that can be successful. And I think adopting even that hackathon and self-organizing principles mindset is helpful in terms of tackling new new solutions and new ideas. And maybe Jeremy can chime in about how that's infiltrated into, into how we work. <laughs> infiltrated is a good one. It's interesting. I think emergence and innovation and, and sort of rapid prototyping on steroids is what a hackathon is because you're just rapidly creating something, you know, over a weekend and you can present it and, you know, seek to, I guess, win the challenge. But really what you're trying to do is is create something. You know, a lot of folks will come out of different jobs just to get into a different creative stream to try that out. 
if I'm reflecting now, it couldn't have been a more perfect union to meet at a hackathon and and sort of how smoothly Josh and I have applied those self-organizing principles over the years to GMCDo. You're you're learning about each other very quickly. You have to you know have a growth mindset, but kind of be open to different people's points of view and support that and nurture that. And that holds true today. I was just talking with one of my team members about you know what's important to us as a company. You know, just really creating an environment where people feel supported, where they feel nurtured in the team, where they can have other creative things that they're doing you know, reimagining sort of what the work week looks like and what full time looks like and all those different things have been a part of GMC do as we've evolved. And it all started at the hackathon of just sort of getting to know each other and, and really sort of figuring, figuring things out as we go. So Josh and I always say that in, in GMC do that do is our thing that we lean into most. Um, although we, we are also big dreamers and, you know, we like to see what's happening out there. I think the, the do and getting things done, we're not afraid to kind of just tackle something and try something. Yet I don't think that we do it too flippantly. Um, you know, I don't believe that I'm the CEO that's just got all these wild harebrained schemes like every other day. I'm not going to say I don't have any of those, but I feel like we're both aligned in doing things in a very thoughtful and intentional way. And other than like what, what I would characterize as building really beautiful human-centered product that we really care about the experience and being very efficient with how that's done because we've had to, you know, bootstrap for years and we just are kind of maturing in the last couple of years in terms of our team size. We've been self-organizing all along. You know, we even have a coach that's coaching us here and there. It's just really interesting how it's evolved over time. Super cool. And meeting in an environment where that is the context, a learning environment, a highly adaptive container. I'm wondering where you hit limitations in that, where you are in your current developmental cycle as an organization with clients, et cetera. Because I think so many entrepreneurs in particular, we start with like a, a creative impulse or a spirit that we want to manifest in the world. And then there's those challenges and those challenges help us think and act more, more deeply. So I'm curious if there's challenges of applying the self-organization, learning, adaptability to deliberately developmental organization and where you are now as a company. I'll chime in real quick, Adam. Someone on our team actually said that they were reading about this recently and how we're, we really um, embody that in terms of like those principles. And I love the word synthesis. I really think that Josh and I care a lot about the ability to synthesize a range of disparate ways of being, of looking at the world. So it's sort of like balancing the desire to have innovation while also creating something that people understand. We tend to be super creative. So we created things that in language, even early days, it took us years to get over, like online learning communities in like 2014. And people are like, what the F is that? Yeah, I, I think adaptive, that word really resonated with me, not to coin these like sort of trendy phrases like pivot, but we we did with COVID, like many of us had to reevaluate what happened. We had this massive pipeline. We had grown the product to a place where we had these big enterprise clients and these whales on the hook, so to speak, really kind of got and loved what we did. When, when the pandemic started, the bottom fell out of that pipeline. At that point, we kind of looked at ourselves and said, well, who, who, who does this work really resonate with most and how, what's the product founder fit, the things we care about? We had tried wellness out for a while as an example, and it just didn't track from a business standpoint. All the hearts were aligned and singing together in harmony, but we couldn't make a business of it. We're getting paid, but just not sustainably. I think that was around the time we actually we met and our partnership started, y'all. Yeah, it was beautiful. And we dove into this idea of partnership. And so being adap adaptable, and Josh and I have done that together, if I can kind of walks a little poetic about sort of the way that we peer. I mean, he, there's this idea of peer coding that coders do, Josh knows about, but he and I used to literally y'all, and we still sometimes do this, 
like write emails together to like big clients or big opportunities. Literally, like it wasn't like a micromanage thing because we were partners. We would write stuff together and we would peer on things. And we've always just had this way. We, we, we encourage this with the team to express like that this is about collaboration and that ability to be able to collaborate on the fly and to make those decisions with more than one mind is so powerful that it allows you to be adaptive. It allows you to kind of turn and say, hey, is this working? No, we need to change the model. Let's test that out iteratively, kind of like rapid prototype this new sales model or this product feature. And so it really informs our relationships with our team, who we hire and our client partners and how we choose them, honestly. One last quick thing I'll say is I, I had a conversation with a thought partner of ours. She's lovely. Her name's Julian. And I was just in this moment a couple of years ago where I was just frustrated with some of the potential clients we were meeting. Not y'all, of course. You'll get this in a second. And she said, you got to look, Jeremy, for the zeros and the tens. I think you guys can guess which one you are. You're a 10. And the tens are those that are just so aligned and they're going to move together with you in unison. They're going to get it and be understanding and help. you're going to help each other grow because you have shared ideology and vision and values and you want to help each other unlock that potential. And then you're those zeros are just not going to get it and you just get rid of them as quickly as possible. But the sales part of me wants to land the clients, right? And you guys know this, but you have to make hard decisions and say no. And so I think this self-organizing and adapting this plays into the way we choose those who, who we work with and the rooms that we're in, y'all. And it's, it's really important. Yeah, and then I guess I could just finish up with one example of where it's been challenging. We always want to make sure that we approach every partnership with fresh eyes. You know, we bring on a new client and uh, we want to deeply understand who they are, what they're trying to achieve, what their goals are. You know, we call ourselves a SaaS business, but we're really more like consultants and tapping into kind of our, our previous selves in that way. And I'd say it's aimed to be challenging because it means that then things can't be like locked into processes that can be easily repeatable over time and easily teachable over time. And you're like, okay, cool. Let's learn how to always be emergent and respond to what's happening. And it, it is learnable as a behavior, but it's really hard to interview for, to like understand who else out there in the world operates and behaves in this way and not doesn't just say it, but actually can do it in the moment. For example, we've been yeah working with some recent clients and I do a lot of the integration work with them. And each one is different in where they're at in their readiness stage of like, do we have to educate them? Do we have to start with education? Then can we move to like actually figuring out what we're doing together so that we can kind of think together? Or should we just tell them like, should we just be prescriptive? And I think Jeremy and I have had these conversations like we feel like we've lost time with clients. Like we'll spend a couple months because we're willing to be learning. But really, we should probably have been prescriptive and told them you should really just start with this and do it in this way and launch this small pilot program and measure the results of that and use those learnings to build a larger program. And just follow that roadmap because it might actually be simpler. So I think that's where there's a tension between like being open and being adaptive to also willing to like, okay, maybe we actually need to be prescriptive because we, we've seen this happen so many times that we know we need to get you through like a, a very specific outcome first together before we can go the big expansive vision scope. Yeah. And, and we've had to figure it out in our own way, y'all, because we haven't done the traditional model of get the VC money get to that next round. It's a volume play kind of thing. I don't, you know, I don't want to overgeneralize, but there is a sort of pretty common modality where we bootstrapped, we retained our values. We did this on the side for a while, as I said earlier, and then it finally really started to mature late 2018. And now we're just growing at a nice pace. 
but I think we've had to learn some of these things in our own way. I mean, you can kind of look what's happening out there, but we try to do pricing like other folks and look at other models out there in different regards for the business. And what we've fundamentally figured out is we can take some models, but we ultimately need to adapt them to our own way because we are unique. But on the flip side, we also want to make things easy enough and palatable for folks to understand. And I think that's really been an interesting learning curve for us as part of the synthesis in looking at those challenges, whether it's how we language things and not trying to be too cute or too precious, you know, making things more easily understandable to how we create process around like how we onboard clients. I mean, we've been continuously evolving it and I'm really proud. Like what is our way of doing it where we can truncate the cycle, make it a little quicker and easier for everyone, yet still retain the energy and the connection. It's almost like a managed service approach with SaaS, right? We are ultimately a product business and we have support in a very unique way. Our people support in a way that's not sort of at arm's length. It's very much, you know, the best people in the organization, the most knowledgeable are the ones that you're going to work with to help you understand how to leverage GMCD as a client partner to unlock your goals and aspirations. But figuring that out, it's taken some work. And I think it's been a very interesting and enlightening experience for me, at least as an entrepreneur doing that. There's a kind of like a theme that I'm tracking around ownership. It started with the hackathon and it was like a side comment where it was like, yeah, we kind of led and we won the competition and then we had to decide who was in it or not. And then kind of into this idea of you raising money or not and ownership is part of that. And this is a presumption imagining in this modality ownership of self-organizing who owns what and the the final bit of like someone stepping out as a partner organization. So I'm interested in that theme of ownership and how that fits into the kind of collective creative journey you've been on. One thing that strikes me is like we, we did have a conversation whether or not we wanted to become a holacracy or embody any of these other types of formal organizing structures that were not hierarchical and we decided no we were like we we actually feel like we're more comfortable in the space that we know and so i think that there there's edges that we can always explore and yet it's helpful to know that somebody owns something that is going to take care of it and is going to always be responsible for it when you actually own something you dr- really drive it forward through all odds and that's what's needed to like start a business as the CTO, you know, you'd say that I kind of own a lot of the technical decisions and yet in all of our decision making seek to get advised by everyone, but still have ownership over making the decision. And I think that's the hardest part to give up. And I'm not sure there's, there's something about like, I like being able to create something and I like being able to see the things that emerge out of it, but I still like having some control. I don't find that in myself, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) I was literally just talking about the volume because I can't help that audiophile side of me. But to Josh's point, I have a background in production and creative direction. And like, I'm still doing, you know, Miriam, we're having you, I had you do a VO from one of our upcoming videos that we're going to do um, for a little animation we're doing, a fun promo animation. And I still do all that audio mixing because I was a music producer for years. And I'm, I wonder like, at what point am I going to be willing to give that up? Because I love that. It also puts homework on my plate. And our head of content is like, she's so sweet, but she's always waiting for me to like finish. And at some point I do look forward to the day where I can kind of have a hand in it, but pick and choose versus being responsible for all of it. And I think Josh, you'd agree, like we want to be able to still be involved in that way. But uh, I think we're really good at um, 
having that balance of there is some hierarchy, you know, there has to be decisions made and there's a bit of a small leadership team at GMC do, but I, we really try to have some self-awareness, a, a bunch of it actually, and to include everyone's voice. And sometimes it's hard when, even when you ask for those voices for people to, to speak, um, which is interesting. I'm learning about that as well. And uh, that's an interesting, it's an interesting inquiry, Miriam. I can imagine so many people are going to listen to this and think, wow, I want to work with these guys because they're going to look at me as an individual or an individual company with particular needs and not try to apply some scalable, automated or mechanical system to me, but see it as a creative potential, which is not finite or mm. containable. So what I'm looking for. Yeah. And, and look, as a SaaS business, I love all that, man. And tons of things firing off for me, listening to you. We're looking for what ways things are scalable for us, because we do want to be able to have people get their hands on GMC do the right people that really get it. You know, someone asked me a question recently at a, at a leadership retreat and said, Hey, why do you want to grow? And that informs like, how much do you want to grow? Because we have a different imprint and people that partner with us and work with us are excited because they're not waiting to speak to someone for three weeks. And the thought leaders and owners of the organization or C-level people have time with Josh and I as the co-founders. And we care about that. And we think a lot about like, well, what if it gets to the point where we have 500 clients, let's say, and we can't do that anymore? Is, are we going to enjoy that? You know, we're working through, we're maturing. And so we're coming up with things like we have to, like like a like a handbook, you know, in our in our way. And, you know, we want to do some kind of performance development plan, but we don't want it to feel punitive. We want, we want it to feel judgy, it, you know, and we're going to then try it out like we always do. We're going to kind of put it put it down on paper and, and try it out and see how it goes and get input from the team. And we do the same thing with our client partners. I mean, we've had client partners push us to improve our SaaS agreements and our cookies, Josh. We, like, we have one client that's like, all about cookies. This one guy is amazing. You know, cookies on the site. And it's incredible. I think if you take that mindset and you really want to grow in that way, like we have, how much you can garner from people around you if you if you look at it as an opportunity to grow versus like being judged. And I think an older part of me, a less mature part of me has an initial instinct still, y'all, of like, oh, wait, are they judging me? I'm not doing this the right way. And then I take a breath. And I'm like, this is actually awesome. These people are helping us grow. Like you guys do this all the time to think in different ways as a company. We get so much of that from our team, from thought partners, from our client partners. And I think if we try to run our business any differently than who we are at the core and what our values are, it just wouldn't feel right. So yeah, it's, it's been a really powerful part of our evolution for sure. Yeah. I think that we've realized that you just really have to be practical as well. And I think we are generally practical people. We want to see people having results. And so we're not ideologues. We're not believing only in a certain system is the only way to achieve it. Yeah, we're always mixing and matching. You know, we, we use a holacracy style meeting format, but we're not a fully holacracy. So we, we like to beg and borrow from lots of places. And then it's a question of like, yeah, how far do you go? Where do you actually set your boundaries? Because when you hit a boundary, it shows you where your values are. And so when you hit that place where, oh, shoot, we've been like, stretch thin because we're spending so much time answering questions from clients, then we realize, okay, so do we want to go deeper into that? Is that so important to us that then we should actually just like, we need more talent, we need more resources for this? Or should we go the opposite direction? Does this really need a document or a, a process or a handbook so that we can step away from it a little bit? It's those edges that show you your values. Mm -hmm. I just add to that too. We chose a path that was lesser taken. Is that Robert Frost? Uh, for sure. Hopefully I'm getting that, that poetry right. Josh and I are just really unconventional. Our whole, whole team is like very quirky and unconventional. And most of our core client partners are. One of the things that was funny is we wrote the word quirky about our team on, a, on an investment deck and someone pointed out like, oh, you shouldn't use that. And I was just like, okay, this is definitely not right. <laughs> like if I, I mean, like this is so antithetical to like how we think. We're like, that's what makes us special. 
but I would say that these constraints, um, it's, it's hard to run a business like this, y'all, uh, when, you're, when you're bootstrapping in particular, but then to run it in a way that's not so regimented is challenging. And our biggest challenge has always been resourcing. And we're really finally getting to a place where we're figuring out ways to bring in more team members. You know, the outcomes that we've seen based on running a business in this unique way are client partners see our product first time. They're like jaw dropping. It's awesome. They see the fruits of that. They love hearing about the way we work together and how we truly care about the partnership. And that nets out outcomes like literal statistics of client partners doubling their work, you know, year over year on GMC do and, and the phenomenal outcomes that, that our client partners have seen with their clients. And so there's so many lovely, amazing outputs and outcomes that we care about. You know, it took us a while to be sustainable because I think if you keep going at this creative route and you're not willing to rethink things and say, oh, we need to kind of make this process a little leaner or we need to refine our language in a way that's a little more understandable or, you know, keep looking for that right content person and finally meet that person that can help you create those narrative, beautiful videos and blogs and images that you've been wanting to do and yearning to do for eight years. Um, it, it takes that patience and that le level of um, commitment, you know, to the process and to the flow, really, to kind of net the outcomes that we've been able to see. So, and one other quick thing I'll say is Josh and I have had a ton of thought partners throughout the years. And one was someone that we, we did this visioning exercise. She's a coach years ago, years ago. Amongst the things we talked about, she said, we're, you know, we're tinkerers, we're spiritual guides. And she said, we really like to be in uncomfortable spaces. And it was just like, hit me, you know, hit us in the face. It's like, wow, like that's so true. Like as Josh said earlier, I think it's where you find innovation, of course, that's where you find, you know, where your limits are and how you can stretch beyond them. And so I think we always, as a team, we, we're okay with living in those areas of discomfort. It's interesting because I mean, it's like, that's the work you guys do, right? I mean, you guys are working in times of chaos and how to come through that and, and improve their culture around that. So I just wanted to point that out as well. And I think not get swayed by an easy answer. You know, we're, you're talking about the VC piece and it's something that we're kind of pulling right now as we attempt to grow our sales in a way that's authentic and is also forwarding a message and, and building a micro movement. I think um, the easy solution of like, here's all the things you need to do to scale. It's like, oh, that doesn't work for us, you know, or we're going to be completely authentic and preach to the choir also doesn't work. I think our alignment comes both in principles that we're talking about, but also in the, the sense that to do something innovative, to do something that's a synthesis, it requires a sort of subtlety and a lot of choices and a lot of turning things around together to understand them. And I'm, I'm understanding our alignment now better than I ever have and that we're not alone in the world, that there are there's a quiet movement that's happening among entrepreneurs and change makers and business people because we don't have that easy solution that's easily scalable and goes viral on whatever platforms, it's remaining quiet. But I think what you've offered today, that it, it is possible to be true to ourselves, to be true to our values, and to grow um, and share what we're doing in a way that's more an expression, as Miriam started before the podcast, of the love that brought us together to start something and do something for the world. Yeah, having remained quiet in one sense, but also wanting the growth and scalability is something that, Jeremy, you and I have been talking about a lot. Yeah. And I'm wondering about that edge. It's mm -hmm. like, okay, so if that traditional model of scalability is not authentic to who you are, then what's starting to emerge? What do you sense? Like what's the different model of growth and scalability in this movement for you? Yeah, I mean, I think so many people come come up thinking these days, well, you have to be the unicorn and 
get the funding. And you don't have to do it that way. It's just a choice. you know. And I think fundamentally, Josh and I want to do it in a way that feels right to us and to the world. And you know, I don't mean to sound too hokey or woo-woo, but we are meditators and yogis. And so you know, my wife and I say we're hippie adjacent. Josh and I not only care about what we do as Dream Do, and like we're, we're, we're making certain products now, but the bigger idea is to create these human-centered products that really delight people that allow for that unlocking of human potential. You know, I've mentored people throughout the years and I want them to understand that you can do things in a way, you know, it's hard in its own way, but you can do things in a way that really is meaningful. And some of these things of just having more interpersonal relationships with client partners, that's stuff from the old times, right? Y'all just got lost with technology and, and, and such. And so I think in terms of like scalability to get to that question, I think what we're finding is every year we've done a lot of work to kind of say, hey, we're doing all X, Y, and Z right. Like we're building some great product. People love it. They're paying for it. It's helping them unlock their work, both from a revenue and impact standpoint. I mean, all these great things are happening. We're hiring new people. We're growing, but we can't grow just quite as much as we'd like to grow. And that's not like hyperspeed. That's just like still a little faster than what we're doing right now. And what we found is that we've started to get some strategic investment from actual client partners because they totally get it. We're fully aligned. And, you know, guys, we've talked about doing that at some point, you know, together. They're fully aligned, heading in the same direction. When we help them, then they help us. So the client partners investing kind of helps us invest in the product, which then helps them in their work. And it kind of creates this beautiful cycle. One of the big challenges amongst many that we found in traditional investing other than how sort of transactional it felt as a whole, was that people just didn't really understand nor really truly care about what we're doing, unfortunately. And we want to work with people that really care. And that is not easy to find. But that's one thing that we're finding, Miriam, to answer your question, for us to grow because we have good cash flow and the bank account's looking good and you know revenue's coming in, but we want to hire that one, two, or three more people to kind of, for that next phase of growth, it's a little challenging to get ahead of that as a smaller business. And so- that's one one approach that we're taking that that's starting to really pick up some speed and it's exciting. I guess one thing to describe like the strategy that we've taken to do it is to really work closely with our uh, finance strategy gurus who uh, works in our company to help us really understand what bets can we make. And so we we do that by you know looking at our runway and seeing okay so what's our runway right now? Is that looking like six months, nine months right now? Okay, with current cash flow then it's worth making investment in a new person at this point or two people at this point. And so that's the strategy that I would suggest for like the short term is to like make yourself uncomfortable enough, but like bringing in the resource you really need. Early days, we were always trying to figure out like, how do we find the part-time person that's perfect for this? That's like also very inexpensive that you know, can do all these things. And I think, you know, as we've matured, we've wanted to pay more, but we just couldn't. And so now it's more of like, we've just taken bigger bets on people. And so then we can say, okay, let's shorten our runway now by half, knowing that, you know, that investment, that'll make our product better, that'll make our service side better. Eventually, then we'll recoup that. And even before I joined full-time, which was one of those jumps, Jeremy can allude to probably how many times we did this. Yeah, I think five or seven times on my own, yeah. I was able to continue to grow the business to where then we could make a bet, bring someone else in. And so... And that's been since you know 2019. So now we're, I guess, in the third year of that um, and it keeps growing. So we're in a very different place now, obviously, in terms of like, we have, I think, 14 people. We are in a different place, but we still have those constraints. That's our biggest challenge. You know, That's part of that strategy of, to overcome that hump. Like Josh said, it seems like a simple sort of formula, but it isn't at, at the time. We always found great people that were part-time, and but they didn't last that long. Hard to keep them. And then we could add on someone that would stay a little bit longer. And, and we've seen a bit of shuffling over the, you know, from 2019, but like the team really started to solidify, I think last year, 
Josh, I think you're right, like seven times where we kind of like pulled the cash flow back to like three months. And then and I was able to expand it to six months with new business. And and we kept going through that cycle. And, you know, our head of finance, and he's actually finance and ethos. You guys know him, Peter. He's fantastic. I mean, he both helps hold culture space for the company and looks at the financial health. So what a beautiful and odd and unusual combination that is perfect for us, right? That he's looking at both of those. Like we've done these things called ethos exercises where we make sure that we are still like aligning to our values as we grow strategically and things we choose to do as a business model to that. So he's been super valuable to help us think that through and to to make those bets. So yeah, that, that's been really, really powerful. When you're talking about this growing at the right pace, I was thinking back to David White, W-H-Y-T-E, the poet of the corporate soul. <laughs> Although he's- I, I love him. He's done a lot of work. Yeah, I have. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, <laughs> I shared a poem with Miriam that's beautiful, super short. It's about being present. So it's called Enough by David White. Enough. These few words are enough. If not these words, this breath. If not this breath, this sitting here. This opening to life we have refused again and again until now. Until now. And there's our vision of growth. (laughs) (laughs) it kind of describes it uh, in a way this idea of opening to growth and it being enough rather than some kind of like quick scalability that somehow is going to answer something and then doesn't yeah thank you yeah i was gonna say that i think there's something really powerful at looking at your own assumptions about what you want in the world and what what is going to bring you what you think will be happiness or satisfaction or fulfillment. Amen. Because I think that that's what Jeremy and I keep going back and forth on. You know, whenever the funding question comes back, it's always a question, well, why do we really want this? And what is the real big outcome that we're looking for? And is that some idea that someone else planted in our head? Which is certainly a valid thing. It's just whether or not you're actually consciously choosing to go down that path or is it somebody else's dream, but is it your dream? Yeah. And I think that's a process that we always go back and forth on, you know, when we're trying to figure out, do we do something that either feels not quite aligned with our values or yeah, it isn't feeling right. We're always dream see doing as your mom always used to love emailing that Josh early days. Like it's so cute. Uh, I mean, we really are. I mean, it's in our name. We had almost changed our name several times because some people found it hard to remember, but everybody always loved it. And we kept it because it was just like us. And it was like these three words that, you know, really defined us, you know, that you dream, you see, and you do. And and that's like an iterative cycle that we, you know, folks will come up and say, hey, dreams he doing and just make a phrase of that. And I think part of that poem that was interesting to me is like the things that you have refused until now, you know, whether that's like a way of being that maybe is a little bit more traditional. Yeah. At, at every sort of crossroads, we we do truthfully use our name. We, we, we sort of dream what's possible. We sort of see what things we want to do. And we do. We do a lot of doing. <laughs> so um i'm proud of the name that we've kept and retained and that you know people as they still love and appreciate because it kind of clearly states what it is the thing i was thinking of from david white was actually at a conference i saw him speak at and he said he was talking about like his relationship with his daughter growing up and relationships in general and he said we all every human being is subject to heartbreak the one thing that we think we get to choose is the type of heartbreak that we're going to experience what I loved about that was that he said, you actually have a choice in that. It's not to avoid the pain or avoid the thing that we've been refusing, but to know that we have a choice in that. Yeah, man. I mean, that resonates. When you choose that heartbreak, you're going to experience challenge. And it's like, 
sounds simple, but we wanted to take the challenge on that we could, we knew and we were confident we could get to a place where we could get on our feet and become more stable and then take a few more breaths here or there and that and be in that moment like the poem I read, you know? And and each year I think we have done that for sure. You know, when you look back, especially in the moment, it's hard at times. I think a famous renowned investor said, like, entrepreneurs have two emotions that they toggle between terror and elation. I think it was something like that. Um, which is really funny because I, you know, it's like you're like so high or so low. There's not a lot of in-betweens. We all choose that heartbreak, I guess, as entrepreneurs too, right? Yeah, I think we want to feel, you know. Whatever we're doing, we want to make sure that it makes us feel something. And it, it may not always be positive, but it means oh, yeah. we're not bored. We laugh a lot together too, y'all. I mean, like we we support each other. We're, we, we, you know, hey, hey, you doing okay, Josh? Or, you know, Peter will say that. Or we sincerely care about each other and give each other space when we're not feeling well or going through something. I think in a very unique way. Part of that, yeah, is really feeling through things and, and experiencing it. And at, at times when it's really hard, you just sort of get frustrated and maybe you want to throw your hands up a little bit, but that's part of the process that then creates that contrast. So when the joy comes, you're not attached to either of them. If you take that yogic mindset of just sort of being in the experience, that's the thing. It's hard to do as a human, but that's the thing. It's not getting so attached to the joy because it's ephemeral or getting so upset with the challenges. So a lot of that kind of talk in the company too. We get real six, seven chakras uh, for sure in, in, in GMC Dale. A little dreamy. If Kagabran's poem is correct, work is love made visible, then, you know, that love that I think we're hearing here is the love of the human potential, the love of the humanness, of the whole journey, of the joy, of the discomfort, of the, of the dreaming, of the seeing, of, of the doing. So thank you so much for the conversation today and everything that emerged. And just final words about what you've discovered in this conversation and, and what's here now. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like how you sort of frame the essence, Miriam, that's really beautiful. And I think, oh, it's just sort of walking through the story is always a beautiful thing and thinking back and taking that time to just sit there and talk through and and recall and think about how that's informed your decisions and what's important to you. And we need to really check in on this consistently to make sure that we're staying true to what is important to us and that we continue towards that North Star, whatever that means for each of us. I always love chatting with you guys and always love your accent, Miriam. And I always love the the provocative questions that you guys ask, just getting into conversation. And you know, you guys have always been a true partner. This is just another beautiful way to, to embody that spirit. So yeah, just just really reflective and so pleased uh, to have Josh as my partner. Um, you know, he's really my partner, soulmate, my kind of second wife, husband, whatever, I don't know, in business. And it's very hard to find someone, you guys know this, that you can go through tough times and have challenges and really be there for each other. And in this case, I don't think the grass is greener. I mean, typically we do, but I really don't see myself finding a better partner than Josh, honestly. That really is what's created GMC Do, I think, is that initial spark in union. And, and we see that today. And and I think, you know, there's lots of exciting things happening now and, and things that we want to do down the road. You know, this iteration of GMC Do isn't going to always be the thing. It'll have its own life and take on a different form in the future. Yeah, just beautiful to share this together, the space as always. Appreciate you. Josh? Yeah. I've been the last few months stuck in a lot of day-to-day worries and concerns and small little details. And I really appreciate this opportunity to, to sit back a little bit and reflect on the journey that has taken us here, but also, you know, hopefully we've shared something about our own authentic journey that that will help others believe in their ability to manifest that for themselves. Because I think that's really what we'd hope in the world. 
yeah, as Jeremy described, I think we each have given each other a lot of feedback through the years. And I think, you know, we've, we've grown a lot out of that. And I think that, you know, I certainly hope too that others can find people that they can collaborate with that will support them in their, in their journey and their growth. And, and so we appreciate you too, as, as partners too, who also, I think, hope to create a better world in that way so that we're all here in our humanness. So this, this was awesome. Thank you. The Beyond Listening podcast is brought to you by We Are Open Circle, a social impact business that helps change makers, organizations, and community groups evolve and thrive with integrity in our rapidly changing world. Our Beyond Listening program was designed to transform the way organizations work with complexity, rapid change, and the wisdom of diversity in a world that demands constant collective adaptation. Sign up for our newsletter for more Beyond Listening podcasts and view our upcoming trainings.